Hi, welcome to Women in Environmental Science. I'm Srenia Nandapuntala, and I have Maitre Koraganti with me today. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast, Maitre. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here, really. Yeah, so let's get started. So could you elaborate more on who you are, where you're from, and what work you're doing? Okay, long question. <laughs> well, uh, uh, so my name is Maitri, Maitre Koraganti, and uh, I am from India. I think I'm based at, uh, well, actually I'm based in the US now. I've sort of moved in very recently. Uh, but a lot of my work, uh, I work with an organization, I mean, it's with an academic institute called Indian Institute for Human Settlements, mm -hmm. which is based out of Bangalore. And I've been with them for the last, uh, I, I would say on and off for the last five, five and a half years. And a lot of the work that I do, it's sort of situated within climate change, sustainability studies, agricultural studies and gender. Mm -hmm. uh, I think on and off, we also try and look at cross-cutting themes of really, if, of, of how climate change impacts a certain way. Uh, so that way, I think there, there are a lot of things that I work on, but largely these. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's great to see that there's lots of interdisciplinary um, studying going along, going around. Um, so, uh, I, so can you like elaborate more on the work you do with the Indian uh, with the Indian Institute of for Human Settlement and like how is the community involvement um, part of your work there? Uh, so firstly, so this so the whole climate, water, environment space is still relatively small. You know, at least at at a point you tend to know everybody from different sector, right? So that's how it's been for me as well. And uh, so at IHS, I think uh, I've largely been with climate change and sustainability. Uh, that's uh, that's also slightly because of the projects that I'm involved in. Uh, I started off with a very uh, major climate change adaptation project, which was called Adaptation at Scale in Semi-Arid Regions of India. So that sort of spanned from say 2015 to 18. So I was I, I somehow joined in the last bit mm -hmm. where we were really trying to understand all the research that's been done within that study. So it was done in semi-arid parts of India and uh, and I mean, yeah, India and Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I was more involved in the Indian bit. So really, whatever studies, whatever research has been undertaken, how do you really translate that into uh, into into a way that the general audience can connect with. So I think the trickier part with academic research is that we tend to be so uh, jargonized. That's mm -hmm. also the nature of the work you, you kind of get involved because that's how the scientific community looks at your work. But I think eventually when we're talking about impact, it's really what is reaching to the common man. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was at a stage where we were trying to convert that kind of research into popular media, into short films, into documentaries, into games, something that every audience can use, you know, it's students and teachers and practitioners outside the academic community can work. So that's been one part of my work. But what I'm at the moment doing is we are working on another project, uh, which is on urban agriculture, really understanding how different forms of urban agriculture within cities, uh, how, I mean, basically, what are the outcomes of, of, of urban agriculture on sustainability, on well-being, and if at all, there is a potential for these gardens or these rooftops to really contribute to, to a larger sustainability goals, right? We're talking about 17 sustainability goals, 2030 is nearing. So it's, it's quite a milestone for the whole community. So how do really 
urban agriculture as a nature-based solution as how we are framing it how would that contribute to sustainability and how would that increase well-being not just of yours of course personal well-being is, is very important but also of a community that you're living in right. all right so that's large and short of of uh, long and short of what i do now when you ask me how the community is uh, well i think there are a lot of ways right so firstly it's a very motivated community at least at ihs uh, a lot of the work we do is very driven with a cause right so we we are only trying to develop solutions which is both top down and bottom up right? right i mean that's how that's how we realize that things have to work because it cannot just be a top down approach it cannot just be a bottom up approach but somewhere approaches need to converge mm -hmm. and that's how the community is also situated so we have a chunk of work wherein we are trying to engage with policy makers we have a chunk of work that also engages with the ground communities and the and and that sort of talks to each other. Ah, so that's so what you mean by like the top down, bottom up. Like top down and bottom up, yeah. So what comes from the policymakers? There's the larger state, there's a the larger country that sort of flows down, but you also have these everyday practices of people that demonstrate what is happening on ground. Not necessarily what a policy is speaking; mm -hmm. it's really reflecting on the ground, right? There's there's always. Uh, always there's always a different way that policies reflect on ground that's how implementation works right uh, so basically we are situated in how these two talk to each other yeah uh, so it's a very motivated community i have personally it's been a very rewarding space for me uh, because i have learned from from knowing nothing to knowing this much and and it's still a learning process yeah so it's and like I mentioned before we started talking, everybody's a student always and always. I think it never stops at every stage you're learning. Exactly. Um, even if you've got multiple like PhDs or anything MAs after that, you're always Absolutely. learning. Absolutely. I think we learn every day for that matter. So it's it's like I have a I have a friend with who's she's got a two year old. Right. Mm -hmm. So she's the, the lessons she teaches, you know uh the very small things like you know if she picks up something she doesn't know you know she doesn't really take it up she 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 makes an effort to say hey can you tell me what is this i want to know about it you know those those small things of curiosity you know i yeah. it, it really makes me wonder so it's like i'm learning so much even from her so it's yeah that's very cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah so can you speak more about like the 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 different solutions that are able to be implemented on the ground level and how you're able to like pick uh, and help help the people actually implementing these solutions, how you help them pick which ones to use. So honestly, uh, it's hard for me to say one specific solution because something about implementation, I think I always say this is no one size does not fit all. Yeah. Right. I think as as researchers, what we've learned is every geography, every every community for that matter is very different. For mm -hmm. instance, in one of the uh, in one of the in, in one of the in one of the villages that we were working, uh, I think from the scoping studies, we realized that it's not the resources that they need to cope with a certain problem. It's rather the knowledge about it. Right. It's like so if you say uh, there was a village who was suffering with droughts. You know, right. uh, it's not like they did not know what to do. It's mm -hmm. just that they did not know how to do it. 
Right. So they know they know that say perhaps one of the coping strategies for drought is really relying on alternate sources of water or relying on alternate cropping patterns. Right. right? Now they know there are alternate cropping patterns, right? But what is right for that kind of environment and soil is not something they realized. Yeah. So in one aspect, it's just the knowledge and access to that kind of knowledge, right? So workshops, trainings, capacity building. So that's been, that's one of the implementations we work with, right? Now, another bit is also say, um, uh, the very, uh, uh, how do you say? So, so sometimes when, when a community is facing risks, so if there is a problem that, okay, they don't know anything. It's not right. just training. They really don't know how to adapt. Then you go ahead with, with, you know, really collaborating with a certain development project, right? So there are watershed development projects that I have been a part of. So in one of the regions, if there was, you know, they, they, were, in, they were situated somewhere near the forest and, mm -hmm. you know, landslides were an issue. So we were looking at how do you reduce landslides, which yeah. in turn will, will, which in turn, again, the communities will not suffer. Right. So they were technical solutions. You know, you have buns, you have contour buns, then you sort of have check dams to really stop the flow of water. Uh -huh. uh, so that's been one of the solutions that we work on. So it's 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 hard for me to say that these are the set of solutions we worked on. But of course, the kind of solutions range from training, capacity building, technical implementation, you know, engineering uh, uh, the engineering bit of uh, constructing dams and check dams and wells and to to really again working with women mm -hmm. right so a lot of it is is education basic education children right. children and women sort of the more vulnerable than the than the larger population I mean, for basic reasons, because their biological cycles are different, children's growth patterns are different, right? Mm -hmm. So again, working with women, working with children, understanding them, capacitating them, because a very large part of India, whether we like to believe it or not, women are still not really given an opportunity to be educated, uh -huh. right? It's not like they're not educated, it's just that they lack an opportunity to, to really come into that space for whatsoever reasons. It, it's been culture in a lot of ways, it's been religion, it's just been the gender dynamics, you know, the, the very notion that women need to handle home, men need to handle outside, they're the breadwinners, right? So basic, I mean, even basic thinking sort of changes uh, a lot of dynamics there. Uh, so really working with women to capacitate them, to encourage them and skill them, right? So skills is another bit. So we work on skill development, really owning whatever skills they have, you know, sometimes it can be uh, like a self-help group wherein you just organize a self-help group and I think from there, they they pull it off. They know what needs to be done. They know their village way better than us. Right. They know their communities, right? We are only facilitating them to identify what is what is what is out there and what are we bringing it to their community, right? It, it is not like we know too much about the community. We do not know, of course, we do not know more than the people who live there. So really giving those skills, right? So they can be technical skills, engineering skills. Um, they could also be as simple as, you know, giving in crash courses, trainings on different policies, mm -hmm. what is available, right? And again, very specific trainings, right? They're not generic classes that we give. So it's perhaps about certain policies. It's about, you know, how uh, how markets work, how agricultural markets work, mm -hmm. or how how can they sort of uh, digitize themselves, right? Digi like exactly what's relevant to them. Exactly. What, what's really relevant. So digitization has been a very big uh, uh, game changer in all of this. Mm -hmm. So how, how do they use technology, right? Sometimes it's also 
they don't realize what to do how uh, i mean how do you how do you really access a web page how do you make payments how do you check your accounts online so very basic things right mm -hmm. uh, so that is one bit of work so yeah i think a range of things that we worked on and we continue to work but yeah it's very specific uh, solutions to at least the kind of issues we work with which is climate risks developmental challenges poverty uh, you know, food security, all of that, they're very specific. And we work and we continue to rely on these specific solutions because we don't want to generalize people do one mass program that that is only that's going to be very disproportionate, right? Only certain right. people are going to benefit. Mm -hmm. And then in that case, I think nothing really works. You know, it, it, it does not serve the purpose. So, yeah, we go community by community, region by region. And that's um, that's proven to be really beneficial. Absolutely. Like bringing the, like, like I mentioned earlier, the relevant solutions to the people who actually need them will help them implement it e like easier, help them understand it easier and actually apply what they're learning. Right. And yeah. uh, also like the workshops are kind of like this podcast, they're providing education to anyone who wants to look for it. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one of the things you were talking about was engineering, right? So mm -hmm. how is engineering so environmental engineering is like the implementation of the environmental science concepts that we that we like understand in this simple classroom. So do you want to speak more about like environmental engineering and its broad application on um, different villages? I wish it's a little out of syllabus for me <laughs> because I'm no engineer here. Uh, but I think uh, so here's the thing, right? So I think uh, there's one bubble I really want to break today. One is that so environmental implementation doesn't necessarily have to be an engineering solution, mm -hmm. right? I think there's a very large part of uh, a large part of thinking. I mean, you can't blame that as well, but a large part of thinking always believes that implementation means that there's something that needs to be constructed. There's something that that needs to be changed, or there's something that needs to be built, right? Not really, not always, right? So it's a very balanced mix of an engineering solution versus a soft solution. Uh -huh. So you also have soft measures like, you know, trainings and workshops and uh, and and things like educating. These are also a way of solutions. It's, it's, uh, it's just that it's never recognized as a solution. It's always seen as an afterthought. Hey, trainings, engineer, hey, trainings and workshops are fine, but you have to fix a solution. Uh, so I, I'm not a pro of something like that uh, because I believe that it's a very balanced mix of, of a certain of a certain solution. So for instance, it can be, uh, you know, if if we're looking at floods, then we look at dams, we look at really uh, check dams or things like that. But but it also means that there's a certain behavioral change that people need to come up with. So I see this as a balanced mix of both. Uh, and in terms of how it helps, I think it certainly has. We do need engineers, right? At the end right. of the day, okay. we do. We cannot work without them, right? Structures, development. Development is pretty much engineering, designing uh, a certain uh, nature-friendly, I mean, coming up with, say, eco-friendly apartments or, or eco-friendly bathrooms for that matter, oh, wow. right? That, uh, that certainly needs... Uh, engineering but uh, another dimension of it is acceptance of that kind of engineering need by people needs some sort of soft measures for people to change their attitudes That's right. right so it's not about just constructing something it's also it's also 
allowing and giving the space for the public to accept that kind of solutions. So, you know, I think that's how I see it as, as a bit of engineering and a bit of soft skills. So I am more on the social science bit, mm -hmm. right? So I have always, um, uh, you know, I think I was also a part of thinking like, hey, you know, one solution, one dam can solve, pro can, can just solve the problem. You know, they will get water, they will get access to water, their fields will be uh, irrigated. But what I realized is if that's not what the community wants and you're not able to convince the community that the dam is good for you, that dam is never going to be used. That's right. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, so I see that as a mix of both. To be honest, I cannot really comment on uh, how do we do I do we own that skills? It's not something I possess. It's something I really wish I knew. But uh, but yeah, like I said, I see this as a balance of both. Absolutely. It's just like this mouse, right? Like you have the physical aspect of it, but you can't, without like the software, you can't actually use it, right? So it's yep. just like that in a solution. And I think you've learned that from having experience with um, like actually going to these places and seeing, huh, we installed this thing, but they're not using it. I wonder why, right? Exactly. And you learn from that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, a lot of my, uh, to be honest, I think I started off with, uh, with really, living in villages, living in rural areas, because a lot of my work was in rural India mm -hmm. for about close to two, two and a half, three years. I was just there. I was living with them. I was eating with them. I, everything, right. It's, it's, it's like I'm living, I'm living with them and their life. So a lot of my understanding, a lot of my thinking sort of changed right from there mm -hmm. because you realize that there are problems, right? They do face a lot of uh, problems. There's a lot of challenges that they face at an everyday life, but but they manage. They somehow find it's it's they somehow find means to to really cope. It's just that it's not a very like in a long run. That's not something how you would want them to cope because we sort of leave them in dis in despair, and that's not something we want to leave them at. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah it's a lot of my understanding and a lot of my experiences come from there motivation rather comes from there oh yeah for sure you see you see them and how they live their lives you're like oh wow we can really fix this and we can make it we can improve it by a lot if we all just work together and yeah. combine the engineering and the soft part of it absolutely yeah yeah so um do you want to like describe the um, various effects that climate change has on different places in India? Like I think you mentioned droughts. Um, there's of course like the rise in temperatures. Um, there's also more floods. There's lots of impacts, but are there ones that are really, really detrimental to um, some villages that you've worked in so far? I think all of them are detrimental. Let me start with that. You know, the, the, the reason why we call them risks theoretically is, is because they have an adverse impact on communities. Now, how they impact every community is based on the community's capacity to adapt, mm -hmm. right? Say, for instance, you're in one part of, say you're in an apartment in Bangalore and say, I'm in a, I'm saying a slum in Bangalore. We live in the same city. We face the same risks. So, but if there are floods, my house is flooded more, right? My, my house is washed away, but you still you say you're on the 10th floor of an apartment, mm -hmm. right? Which means we're facing the same thing. Even right. your house is in floods, even my house is in floods. But the impact on me is more is because of the conditions I live in, right? So this is what we call as differential impacts. Right. So every risk has a very different impact on, on different people. And that is sort of based on where you live, 
you know how much can you cope how much can you adapt what are the resources you have access to right right so every trust me every risk you know we've uh, off late we've seen increase in temperatures we've seen heat waves mm-hmm. this year right. they've been very harsh we've seen flash floods off late as we're talking bangalore is still stuff, um, suffering from flash floods mm-hmm. one day of rainfall right we've got what three, 300% of rainfall in one day which yeah. which is like i mean one bucket include you just added three times and that's how much of rain it's happened that's not normal right, right? and we and these are again in only a few parts of bangalore right then we've seen droughts we've seen droughts in peak may we've seen droughts in the semi arid regions we've seen it in gujarat we've seen it in maharashtra and it's it's also we've seen landslides we've seen avalanches we've seen everything this year yeah. right and nothing is is that nothing is less detrimental everything is detrimental so i think we know that climate risks are increasing that's what even the global reports are telling us right. it's only time that we start thinking what is really causing those and how are we going to control them right i think we've passed that phase of really seeing what impacts more and what impacts less mm-hmm. i mean you look at sea level rise cities are getting i mean seas i mean cities are going to sink I think there was a recent NASA report which said that 25 years later Kochi is not going to be on the map. Yeah. Wow. And imagine Chennai half of Chennai is going to be drowned. And this is 25 years. You know, perhaps I'm going to be 60 and you're going to be 20 you're going to be 30. Yeah. Can you imagine in your own lifetime you're actually going to see so many things that are not going to be there. Mhm. So it's very alarming, right? The only I think what we're all trying to tell from our work is it's very alarming you need to work and we're not saying do big things no we're only saying make those choices which which are sustainable pull up those individual pieces which make you sustainable sustainable food sustainable fashion sustainable clothing sustainable you know uh, transportation mm-hmm. right this is what each of us can do right, right? the nations are anyway coming up with bigger solutions mm-hmm. but if we are not able to change our actions and behavior even if they do a million things or move a million stones we are never going to reach our commitments so i think that's what we have been working as a community right so all risks are very detrimental nothing is good trust me also everything adds up to each other right you it's yeah it's just going to be cumulative right at one point you will not know what is bothering you yeah everything will just be exactly like it's so funny right now we've had a heat wave in detroit very recently mm-hmm. and now it's cold it's just been a week in a week it's yeah. hot then it's cold then it rains like cats and dogs and i have no idea where we are what what is this weather what is this climate i have no idea that's exactly what's going to happen right so many unexpected things will well actually they 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 are expected but they weren't changed right and then exactly. everything starts to have an effect which is not good. yeah so i think the biggest change for us is we had well defined seasons mm-hmm. and with extreme events so we call these as extreme events because it's not something you would uh, really expect, you would right. expect at at this season but which which is why a greater percentage or the occurrence of it will will sort of we term them as extreme events so the occurrences of extreme events are high which is not really common right the instances of a flash flood say in bangalore it it used to be there it's not like it never used to be there 
mm-hmm. but the very frequency is changing like the frequency is rather increasing it's not decreasing it's just increasing so yeah. that is is not something we we'd want to deal with because it's loss and damage right it's loss of property it's loss of life it's it's a loss of resources so for you to rebuild and adapt itself is going to take you time mm-hmm. and by the time you rebuild and adapt and you're faced with another climate risk you're gone right it's 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 like you lose the hope right it's also a lot of thing on your i mean there was one there was one project that i was not really a part of but but i had colleagues who sort of worked with the uh, coastal communities uh, around india uh, who were displaced because of tsunami because of floods and because of cyclones right so the emotional baggage that each of them carry because of losing their homes because of leaving their own land and going somewhere else uh-huh. just because just because you know their land i mean just because of a certain cyclone it's really hard and these stories are very personal you know mm. it's like small aspirations are crashed yeah right at the end of it it's it's people it's lives you know they they would have saved their entire life to buy a boat uh-huh. and then the boat is gone yeah they would have taken an entire life saving to build a house the house is gone right it's a lifetime that's lost for 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 a lot of them so i think it's it's yeah so no risk is bigger than anything right it's always going to affect one of us in one way or the other right so i think we should not discount that at any point of time so it's just for us to be aware and for us to know and consciously choose what we want mm-hmm. i think that's that's what drives me to to really think of the work i do so yeah yeah for sure and like you said it's so personal i don't think I've never had to um, be in like a severe weather kind of situation. So it's hard for me to comprehend like how it is to evacuate your house, take your stuff with you, have have your whole house be damaged by just a single hurricane. That's mind blowing. Yeah, it's hard. It's, I wouldn't wish any, you know, that to happen to anybody, but it's happened and it will happen if we're not really moving in the direction of thinking of a change, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Somewhere there. Yeah, climate change is all gloomy, gloom and doom. But what's your hope for, or do you have hope for the future? You, that's my hope. <laughs> Young people, that's been my hope. And that's always my hope. And that's everybody's hope uh, yeah. within the climate space, right? So I think, uh, so when I was young, my actions were never climate conscious, for yeah. sure. But when I see, when I see younger than me, your choices you cho- the choices you make are very conscious and that's exactly what gives me hope that you are you're driving nations to rethink about their own planning you're driving nations to think about how they are imagining development to be how they're imagining a future to be right right so that's my hope that young people within this space essentially they are going to drive countries and they're going to drive their own actions, right? If if each one of you pick up those actions, you are going to motivate so many others. Uh-huh. I was motivated by a young professional. It's not like it came to me. It it did come to me naturally after a certain time, but I saw people, right? Mm-hmm. So it, that's the hope. The story is not very gloomy. I mean, the impacts are gloomy is only right. because the frequency has increased, right? We are at a time where climate change is no more a myth. It's there. Right. It's there. We need to deal with it. And there are challenges that come with it. Mm-hmm. But there is hope because people are acting. I'm working. You're going to work within this space. So 
that's hope. That's that's essentially what's driving us. I'm sure that's going to be very inspirational to all the young students uh, or just people listening to this podcast. They they understand like we we do see a change. Like I'm sure when my parents were younger, my teachers were younger, they didn't really think, oh, we shouldn't use this kind of plastic container, right? Um, and then yeah. now we've progressed. Uh, I, I see people in the shop the shopping center is using like reusable bags and they're so pretty, much prettier than the plastic bags. Essentially. So uh, yeah. And you tend to carry your own bag, right? You carry your own bag. I mean, even uh, small things, you carry your own straws. I think I've seen a lot of people carry their own glasses and straws and you want to avoid it. See, these are, are really small changes that we bring. Right. I think I, I've also seen this when I was, I think about two, two, two and a half years back, I was at an airport and I think this child, I perhaps, perhaps a high school or, or maybe, maybe somewhere in the seventh or the eighth grade. Uh-huh. So I've normally never seen anybody carry their own coffee mugs at airports. So I think this, this child wanted chocolate milk uh-huh. and he actually handed over his mug and said, no, I need my milk in that mug. I don't need your plastic cup. That Wow. So, I mean, that, when people see that, I changed myself, right? So I've been very conscious after that. I've carried my own mug. I've carried my own bottle. I avoid picking up bottles or, or plastic bags, right? So that, I always remember that child. So it, it's very motivational. When, when somebody so young can understand that I need to change, of course, uh-huh. we, we, we can understand. It's yeah. not hard. Right, exactly. Yeah. That, that's got to be so impactful. I'm sure there's so many other stories like that, um, that people have started. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. I, w- I just witnessed that. So yeah, that, that sort of stuck to me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also saw that you, I was reading that you worked in, or you, you like created a game in the Water Youth Network. So like, can you just, and, and like, um, it helped people from connect that were from different backgrounds, right? So can you describe that game? I think you talked about that earlier too. Yeah, so I actually I developed that game as a part of the institute, not really the network. But um, yeah, so I think that development of a game came at a stage where we were trying to really see how do we creatively convert the research findings into something that's more understandable by community, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the findings that uh, that sort of emerged is, like I said, differential impacts. Different people are impacted differently because of a certain risk. Mm-hmm. Right now, so if you want a community to reach to a certain point of well-being, everybody needs to come together, right? It's not one person's responsibility for a community to get better, right? So the game was actually called Amazing Through Periurban Bangalore. Uh-huh. So it's basically like a normal maze, right? So you have a string and you have about eight pulleys around it. So you have eight different people. So all of these eight people represent eight different members, right? So mm-hmm. you have a teacher, you have a sarpanch, you have a farmer, you have a women farmer, then you have a child. We ha- Basically, you have a young child, you know, say 10 years old, then you have a 17-year-old, uh, then you have an elderly from the community, say 40 years old, then you have 60 years old, right. and uh, then you have the local government. I mean, one of them is the government. So we had such characters. So we, had, we saw that, you know, a representation of everybody. Yeah. So the aim of the game is that, uh, so there's a pen attached to that pulley, right? So there's a start point and there's an end point. So the community has to, so if you have to go through, so when you go through the maze, you have to draw, right? Yeah. You have to draw through the maze to get to the end. 
So that is what the pulley is going to do. So that all of you have to pull the pulley in a certain way that you reach the end. Oh, which wow. means at some point somebody has to pull the string higher, some point somebody has to let it go. But you have hurdles in between. Mm-hmm. And what are these hurdles? These are the hurdles of everyday challenges. Say, for instance, there was a flash flood in a certain, say, flash flood today, right? Yeah. All the farms are flooded. So if right. you have to cross this, you have to. So the game was you're given money, mm-hmm. right? So the game was uh, so any cost. So any response that you give is associated to a cost. That's mm-hmm. how we translated it. So you're given money that so each of them starts has the same starting point because we said, okay, let's be equal. Let's try and give everybody same amount of it. But how they choose is their decision. And that's based on the character that they are given. Mm -hmm. Right. So say each of them have been given, say, $100. So for you to cross that hurdle, either you pay Mm -hmm. so many. I mean, say you have to pay some $500 to uh, evacuate the region and clean off the water and drain it off. Or you have to leave the farmers whose farms are flooded. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. it's basically the choices people make. Are they going to leave one community member or are they going to pay and make sure that the community members stay in the game so that you're reaching to a common point? Mm-hmm. So I think we had very different experiences with different people that we've played. So when I played this in office, uh, so they did not want the community members to leave. So they were ready to pay whatever cost it was to make sure that all members remained here and they did not lose their lives, mm-hmm. right? But in another in another community, people prioritize their own their own well being. Uh-huh. No, it's all right. It's fine. You know, they can find another way. But I can, I can, I can. I want to be in the game and I want to go ahead, mm-hmm. right? So it is. It was actually a way to educate different people. I mean, this this is not restricted to any age group. Anybody from the anybody can really play maybe the minimum age is perhaps 12 years 12 to 15 years you need a basic understanding of uh, climate risks and and really how vulnerable people are and how does it impact people Mm -hmm. Uh, so the aim was really one to understand how different people think you know I think that's exactly what you say behaviors so we were trying to see how how does the game change their behavior we were only trying to say that you know, you cannot alone be in the game. Mm-hmm. For you to survive alone in the game is not possible. And that's how it's going to work in real life. You need everybody in the ecosystem to be there with you if you have to reach a certain well-being. Mm-hmm. You cannot disclose people, right? I think, uh, yeah, I think it, it's it's sort of that message we wanted to pull. And, and very, very coincidentally, we had even the UN running for the theme, leave no one behind, right? It's sort of very nicely framed our way of of saying things you know you cannot leave anybody behind Mm -hmm. just because they don't have the ability to grow or they don't have the access to resources for them to move ahead you cannot leave them right Right? so that was the and and we used games to really communicate that if I say this in a normal way it's going to be a very boring lecture yeah it's like, (laughs) come on this is not possible but when you play it and when you experience it it's going to stay with you forever for sure. I think it's it, it, it was with that idea that we had developed that game. So yeah. Yeah. It's still out there. <laughs> I can send it to you if you're interested. You yeah, can play with class, perhaps. Yeah, I can put it in the description of the podcast if you send it later on. Oh, please do. It's it's fun <laughs> game, right? I think it's one of the things that I've been very um happy about, uh, because it does have the ability to change people's behavior. 
it's uh, it's it's very important i think behaviors are so important attitudes are very important and it's it's time we give importance to them mm-hmm. just like the soft side of learning how to like solve problems in a community yeah yeah, yeah. so i think it's cool because you can actually you can also like learn about yourself in the game without actually having to go through it in real life and actually experience that stuff yeah, yeah. so one of the aspects of this podcast is to interview people from varying backgrounds. And what makes your background unique is you lived in multiple areas in India, right? And you've lived in the Netherlands, right? And then now in the USA, in Detroit, which I've also lived in for a couple of years. Um, so can you elaborate more on like the different water usage, um, like how, how water usage is different in these areas and um, what different people, um, can, can apply in these areas because there's like different economical backgrounds um, in these places. So um, maybe just going over how water conservation can also be um, implemented. Right, okay, you've picked very three diverse, very three different uh, regions, okay, also where I've lived in. So <laughs> India, okay, let me come to India last. I've been, uh, uh, it's, it's a lot to describe. So Netherlands is basically, I think the the background of Netherlands is a lot of Netherlands is reclaimed from the sea. Mm-hmm. So a lot of land that's built on is reclaimed from the sea. So every time their biggest water conservation or, waters, or, or water structures are the dikes. So dikes are basically which stop you from the high tides to come in and then it sort of, you know, protects your land. Now, that is an area where everything is excess. There's excess water, but they also face droughts. Mm-hmm. There's excess floods, but they also have a high groundwater table. There are regions where groundwater is actually pumped out of the ground and sent to the sea so that the land can remain and it, it doesn't subside. Wow. Exactly. Now, that blew my mind off. Yeah. Right? Because I come from a country where there is no groundwater. Uh-huh. We even if I drill 700 feet, I mean the the chances that I can get, I can get a yield for say two years is is a dream for me. Yeah, the chance but that you'll yeah. get magma is probably more than the chance you'll find water. <laughs> exactly, and I'm here in a place where I see water is being pumped out and sent to the sea. There's no productive use of it, and it's not like they don't know what to do with it. There are no options for them. Mm-hmm. If they have to live, if they want the cities to not sink in, that's the only way that they can survive, mm-hmm. right? So that is what they expertise in, right? It's because they're trying to, to hold on to the land. They're trying to see how it's been reclaimed. They, their expertise is how do, you re- how do you sustain a flood or how do you ensure or how do you, uh, um, there, um, what do you say? Excess water. Excess water mm-hmm. is rather their problem. So water conservation is not really their thing. How do they protect themselves with excess water? Yeah. But mark me, Netherlands also has had droughts. Parts mm-hmm. of northern Netherlands, which is slightly away from the sea, they've seen droughts. Right? So it's it's so, I mean, for me, I see a contrast between like, say, a few thousand kilometers. Right. One is facing a drought and one is facing excess floods. Yeah, we so can send that water to the north. Um, not possible because that transportation is excess right it's uh, still salt water it's not productive use of it right so uh-huh. it's it's hard trust me they've so their their pioneers are pretty much on 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 you know excess water and and seawalls and dikes and and they've been very very cautious about it 
right? That's that's one bit. Now, US has, US, I think, is, is very similar to India, right? The challenges are about certain areas have more water. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do with it. That's perhaps the coastal regions. They have saline water. They have saline intrusion, uh-huh. challenges like that. There are certain regions which have no water. There's right. that it's drought-like, mm-hmm. right? Central America, Southwest America, all of these are very drought-prone. Same with India. Mm-hmm. So even in India, you have issues of drought. You have issues of floods. You have issues of excess water around the coastal regions. Then you also have the northeast, the northeast part of India, which is very closer to Himalayas. You have glacial melts. Right. Right. So it's it's very hard because again, like I said, each region has a different measure. Mm-hmm. Right. So for 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 places like uh, um, from what I know, at least in the US, I know. Uh, water conservation like a half flush uh, like like you know you have a, a dual flush system uh-huh. so a singular flush so that you have shower heads which reduce which reduce the amount of water that sort of comes in uh-huh. right so they have these engineering measures to really uh, conserve water in water I mean in your daily activities yeah then they also have uh, again you have larger structures of dams you have larger water conservation. You have lakes and ponds which sort of look at uh, supplying water. So you have you have that aspect in the US. Now in India, it's it's very similar. It's it's no different, mm-hmm. right? You have, uh, I mean, for you have rainwater harvesting. Mm-hmm. Then you have uh, oh, see now nothing comes to mind. Then you <laughs> have uh, so you have watershed development as well. So watershed development right. is big in India. Uh, then you also have so within watershed development you have smaller structures you have uh, dig wells you have contour wells you have trenches to conserve water right I think yeah, the I aim of all of these is to increase your groundwater level mm-hmm. right then you also have and and then again the other the economic way of really maintaining uh, or conserving water is pricing the water or, or you know taxing electricity or really, um, I mean, in places where there's excess consumption, then you price them. In mm-hmm. places where water is really scarce, then you sort of subsidize them and give it to them, mm-hmm. right? So you have different engineering, economical, and social measures of water conservation mm-hmm. everywhere. I think that's how that's how the whole water conservation works with, right? So how each country picks it up is very context specific. It's hard for me to tell you this is the right way to go. No, if I'm saying that, trust me, I'm wrong when I say that. Or anybody for that matter, because there is no hard and fast rule that say water pricing, let me give you an example. Water pricing works very successfully in Australia. Mm -hmm. It's because of the nature of people there. Mm -hmm. But a thing like pricing water in India is very hard because water is a human right. Right. access to water or access to clean water is a human right so pricing water is not something that can work in india mm-hmm. right so it is very different country to country it changes region to region it changes yeah no right? one solution fits all it's very important to emphasize that yeah, yeah. i know i went a little all over the place but yeah just to fix it was like a nice nice overview of the different regions and like I didn't know that about the Netherlands that like if you literally like poke a hole in the ground you can get like a water your own well drill and you can get water you know it's going to come like a spring yeah wow um so like what what do you think that um yeah like I think we talked about um how everyone can make their small change and that can really add up but there are some people who 
who don't think so, right? There's, there's, um, you know, there's that, there's like that stigma that, oh, but what I'm doing is such a small change. How do you think we can uh, really convince these people um, to, to understand that whatever you're doing, it's going to be fine. Like it's, go it's going to work. Like we get, we just have to keep persevering and continuing to do that. Trust me, we need people like that to be persevering. Mm -hmm. I think I see it that way. So, uh, you know, there's there's always going to be people who do not believe that climate change is real. Mm -hmm. It's 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 very it's very hard that a hundred percent population is going to believe what we're doing, right? It's exactly that bit of population who don't believe motivate us to continue to prove that hey, there is there is there is value in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. right you spin you spin it around you know instead of really getting frustrated with what they're doing you find new ways to convince them it, it really needs to work like that you know it's and trust me it's very hard to it's very easy to get frustrated mm -hmm. it's very easy for us to say say even for instance um if i if i see um what do you say if i see people taking too many plastics it really irritates me i'm like why can't you get your own bag but it motivates me to to really push for that hey it's all right i'm going to continue to do what i'm doing i am going to tell i'm going to say 10 people i'm going to tell them 10 more times please don't do it mm -hmm. because when i constantly say that i'm also saying it to myself right right it's both ways i'm not just telling you i'm also saying it to myself so every time even if i lazy it out then i'm going to be very cautious that hey no I am trying to be responsible and I'm telling people to be responsible. Yeah, you can't be Me, seen doing, holding a bunch of plastic bags <laughs> if you're trying to tell them. Then it's, it's a reality check for me as well, hmm. right? So I think you need them in, in, in a very, let me call this in a very ecological way that you need them for you to motivate yourself and for you to push yourself to do better, to innovate better. Right. It's just like why a prey needs a predator. You need you need both things to work. You need both things to be there because if everyone, we see everybody, everybody is believing in climate change. It's it's ideal situation. Trust me, it's the best situation we can ever be in. But it's never going to be like that. Right. There will be people who will say, "Listen, I, I'm one person. We are just four people. It's not going. It's not going to be such a big change." I'm mm -hmm. not doing too much of it. I have, I have a small lifetime. I'm just going to live 60 years. So they can come up with any justification they right. want. <laughs> right? And they're not wrong in saying so. Right? What we are talking about is not just one person. It's a hundred one persons. Right. Or maybe a thousand one persons. Right? So it's just the scale at which we are talking. So I would say these people are very important because they are going to motivate us to do better. They're also going to, it's it's like a mirror, you know? Yeah. They're going to also, I'm going to constantly also remind myself that I need to do better. I need to innovate better. I need to convince them better. Maybe I need a different way to convince them. And you never know, innovations come like that. Yeah, that was a beautiful answer. Like, that's just like what climate change is. It's, it's really easy to use plastic bottles. But if you have your own reusable bottle, you're really improving the environment. But you're taking that one step further to change other people essentially that's what it is that's what it is actually it's uh of course there are governments which are working on bigger solutions because mm -hmm. things like housing transportation or or electricity all of these are very they're slightly at a at a national level right because it's public property it's public goods so that is something the nations are already working for but for you to be able to use them in the most in the most sustainable way it's in your hands Right. nobody's going to come that and put that on a platter for you <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly um 
that was that was lovely. I'm now gonna go out and make sure I put up like posters. Don't use plastic bottles. I'll tell more people. Don't use plastic bottles, and then check myself in the in the way. Essentially, right. So here's the thing about even activism, right? I mean, in one way, I believe in activism, but in another way, I still believe one-on-one -on -one works, right. right? I mean, I can always say. I can always go and be a part of campaigns, which I do believe in and I respect them for sure. It's just that after that, there needs to be a follow-up. Mm -hmm. So after you, you are within those, you're campaigning for something, it needs to sustain. And for you to be able to sustain that one-on-one -on -one interaction or for you to personally engage with that community is what is going to make it better. Mm -hmm. right? It's just going to amplify what you've done. Exactly. So that's, yeah. That's one way of how I look at it. Yeah, awesome. And like throughout this whole conversation, I've noticed you're very, very passionate about environmental science and, and communication. So communicating with other people and making sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. So how and when did you get interested in working in this field? Oh, I wish I had one path for it. So yeah. it was by chance, trust me. I... Um, I had never planned to be in this sector. I had never thought that I would, I would be so passionate about the environment. I really never was, mm -hmm. right? I think I was just another student in high school thinking and choosing, oh, can I do? So in India, you know how it is. It's, it's yeah. like you have engineering, you have medicine, and then you have others. So I was like, no engineering, because I had my, I saw my sister with engineering and I had very silly reasons to say no, because I used to see very big books and I said, I'm not going to study so big books. I'm not going to touch them. And uh, medicine, medicine, I think um, it was by chance. I was like, no, the, the logic I had back then is I have to study for five years. Then again, I have to do a specialization for another three years, which means under 30, I'm never going to be settled. Right. So, I think it was a, it was like a naive 17 or 16 year old thinking and I said no no medicine right so I wanted to do so I wanted to do something different mm -hmm. uh, and so we had this rainwater harvesting project in my 12th standard mm -hmm. right so one of the colleges sort of came up with a proposal saying that you know uh, can you uh, can you tell us more about rainwater harvesting in your in your school and can you give us a layout about it? And can you tell us why is it very uh, beneficial and how much has it conserved? Mm -hmm. So that's the first time I even, uh, so of course we, we were learning about rainwater harvesting, right? But I never had the chance to see how the school was implementing. Mm -hmm. So I went on to that project. I, I sort of looked at how much water is being conserved and how much of things are being done. And it sort of blew my mind off because the I think the school was I, harvesting more than one lakh liters in one rainy season that sufficed the whole school throughout the summers uh -huh. and that was big for me because that was a lot then yeah. I understood what if one unit can actually make so much of a difference in a school then I want to know what else can we do right because we were already at a stage in Bangalore where trees were being cut metro was being constructed I saw how how my area changed right. all trees were gone the metros was there the metros were there and that transformation was very it, it sort of hit me very hard now mm -hmm. I knew that the purpose of a metro was to ease transportation in Bangalore it was very essential mm -hmm. but you know the the trade-offs that were made it sort of made me realize that hey I need to understand 
how and why these trade-offs are made. Right. Right. So that was my starting point. So I took in a bachelor's in uh, chemistry, zoology, environmental science. Mm -hmm. Then I finished that. Then I did, then I did, I did my first master's in Hyderabad uh, on environmental sciences. Mm -hmm. But a very large part of those two years, I engaged myself in doing really smaller internships. So I worked with the pulp and paper mill. Then I worked in a water quality lab. Mm -hmm. uh, then I had worked in a wastewater treatment plant. So really understanding the whole landscape of, of how the corporate see the environment, of how an academic uh, research institute sees environment versus how industries see environment, right? These were, I think back then, these were the three large users of water. Yeah. And uh, that sort of, you know, it gave me an exposure to the, to the whole landscape of water and climate and development, mm -hmm. right? So then I joined, then I joined my first job. So it was actually right through my job that I really realized what are the real, real everyday challenges that people face, right. living with them, learning with them, right? So the initial, initial bit of three years was more on working with ground level communities. Uh -huh. Then I, when I, once I transitioned to the present role I am in or the present organization that I am in, I think there I understood how do you link the knowledge that you gain from ground and really communicate it to policymakers. Mm -hmm. right, so I saw the bridge. So for me, it's been very, or maybe the choices I made were sequential. Trust me, they were not informed choices. I just grabbed every opportunity I got. Right. Uh, it just turned out to be, <laughs> to be <laughs> sequential. It's not sequential for sure. So, you know, I understood the whole landscape. I work with communities. Then I work with policymakers. Then, then I get a really broad understanding of what's happening. And I'm right at the center, right? Mm -hmm. So at that stage, I mean, this is why I say mentors are so important in your life. I had one mentor who, who told me that, uh, you know, Maitre, you do have the knowledge. You do have the passion to work, but I want you to build your skills. For you to be able to, to, you know, communicate, situate your work within, within, within the local settings, I want you to make your skills better, which is I want you to read more. I want you to write more. I want you to, you know, make yourself aware of the different cultures, of the different worlds, I mean, of the different nations, yeah. right? Uh, so I think uh, with that motivation, I had, I had opted to do a second master's. Mm -hmm. That was in Netherlands. And I'm so grateful to him for pushing me to really do that. I was not really interested, but he said, no, you, you need to, you, he's perhaps, perhaps he saw I was, I had the capacity to do it and something that I couldn't see myself. So he pushed me to do this and I'm ever grateful to him uh, because he's, it's because of him that I went to Netherlands. It made me a much better learner. Mm -hmm. I was able to appreciate more. I was able to learn more. I was able to see things differently, right? I was not, I did not have my blinkers anymore. Yeah. Sometimes you sometimes tend to work with them, right? Because it's your comfort zone. I was willing to move out of my comfort zone. I was willing to learn from different people. And, and that's what shaped me, right? So that's what made me more appreciative of different kinds of knowledges, where people come from, what people do. So it's it's not been a very easy trajectory for me. It's been very 
funny very <laughs> i think at a point i'm like oh i don't know what i'm doing with my life right now i have my friends who are earning so well they're so well they were they so well settled and look at where am i sitting in villages with cows <laughs> but the satisfaction i get with sitting in a village with a cow is way more than anything right like at the end of the day i come back home i feel so satisfied with what i'm doing right so it's uh, it's it's very rewarding it's mm-hmm. the work i do is so rewarding it it that's what makes me go on absolutely right so like like these small small instances like even in villages there are so many instances i have with i've learned how to milk a cow i have learned how to uh, how to work in a field how do you harvest uh-huh. how do you sow uh how do you you know how do you plow a field with a bullock uh-huh. right how do you how do you drive a tractor oh wow so these are things perhaps i wouldn't have learned yeah exactly and right? that that experience you can use to really understand what issues other people will have with different yeah. solutions or anything essentially that's essentially what uh i mean what what make the way i think is essentially because because i've i've lived that with them right So yeah that's been my trajectory and I'm still learning and now I'm here uh I think I got married so I relocated and now I'm trying to find my foot here uh, so yeah it's 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 continuing absolutely yeah and I like I like how you said you're you were able to learn how to get out of your comfort zone because I think that once someone learns how to do that they can go anywhere if they absolutely just absolutely you know, expand their view <laughs> just expand it it's going to be very hard trust me there were days there it's it's and sometimes it's not really safe because as women sometimes it's it slightly puts us in a very disadvantageous position sometimes you will you will have people not looking at you in a nice way mm-hmm. but i think the minute you you sort of put yourself and you put your guard on i think you will go with it so i've i have been in situations where it's been very uncomfortable but but you fight back and you learn to fight back mm-hmm. Exactly. right so it's it's also that i will not say that it's 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 always rosy and lovely you you will have your own you know share of challenges but but you'll go through it you'll sail through it yeah exactly and in the end it's going to be okay but as you're going through it it'll it'll be a little rough yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's wonderful advice to to young young people or whoever young women who are going into the field mm-hmm. um what other advice would you give to young people who want to learn environmental science and pursue um a, a career just like you i think there are two things i this is what um, this is what my mother tells me every time and i i kind of stick to it mm-hmm. one is is whatever you do whatever you do do it passionately you know believe in what you do believe what you're doing is right and do it with passion and whatever you do is going to be successful mm-hmm. to go with that if you're working within the environmental field believe that wherever you study whatever you work will contribute to some amount of change mm-hmm. right and be very passionate about it right you will face failures right so the environment and development sector is such that uh so money wise yes it's not very it's a low paid sector mm-hmm. i'm i'm going to put it very bluntly it is certainly a low paid sector right so a lot of people a lot of times what drives you is your passion mm-hmm. it's basically what you're trying to do you get a recognition you you get to speak to a lot of people you get to put forward your opinion right that's what the sector will bring you so mm-hmm. do it with passion 
whatever it is, wherever you are, whichever field in environment you want to take, right? The second thing is, is always seek for mentorship, right? It's very possible that sometimes we might not realize where we need to go, where we want to go, mm-hmm. right? So it's very important that you seek for the right kind of mentor. So I've been very fortunate that I've had mentors who've, who've always given me a reality check, you know, told me what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, how can I build on my weaknesses? How can I turn them into my strengths? And they've pushed me very much to, to be who I am today, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so seek for those mentors and there'll be only a couple of them. You will, you will recognize it when, you, uh, when you're in that sector, you know? So seek for mentorship. It's very important because it's transfer of knowledge as well. Because for somebody who's been in the sector, they know how it works. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's a hard and fast rule. No, that's not how it's going to be. But that knowledge will only help you build your own knowledge. It's going to add on to what you're learning. Right. And the third one is give back whatever you've taken, whatever knowledge, you know, whatever knowledge has been given it to you, give it back to the next generation, give it how much ever you can, whatever you can give it back because they are essentially going to be the bearers. Right. So it's a cycle for me, right? Whatever you do, do it with passion, seek for mentorship and, and, you know, give back to the community. What is it that you're giving back? So I, these are the three things that I would always tell any young professional that or any young professional space that I am in that go for it and and trust me you can you can go you will go far you will really reach what you want to yeah that's very inspiring and um, another thing that I wanted to talk about was your work in art and how you implement art with your environmental with, with, with like in addition to your environmental science work you also do art which I love that you you, you spend time on, like, uh, I know you're a singer and you're into arts and crafts, which is great. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, actually arts and crafts is my time off from, from a very busy schedule, you know, you know, I'm upset about something. I'm not able to <laughs> find a certain way. I'm not able to get through my day. I think my, uh, my comfort space or, you know, my comfort is arts. Uh, so I've always, uh, so art for me, one way is very relaxing. It helps me, uh, it helps me concentrate better. It helps me think better. It's actually a time for me to reflect on what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Is this what I'm doing? So that's one way I look at art. The other way that I also do crafts is because I want to reuse, mm-hmm. right? So say there are empty, you say beer cans or there are empty bottles. I kind of paint them and reuse them as lamps. Or I paint or I sort of kind of half break them, use them as pots mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, any anything uh, like even paintings in my house. A lot of them is what I've made. So I decorate them with my with whatever I do. So I do like I do doodling, then I do normal canvas painting, then I quill sometimes. So things like that. So I I try and it's my expression of being sustainable. Uh-huh. And my attempt to be sustainable, I will not say I'm 100% sustainable because I've, there is some amount of reliance mm-hmm. on products that I can't really go do away with. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, it's my expression of trying to be sustainable and yeah, and happy. Yeah, that's very cool. I know, I know, um, like, people make tiny um, dioramas with uh, reusable things like plastic straws and then water bottles by cutting them up yeah yeah so I make book covers with uh, with you know really old old uh, 
jeans pants oh wow and so that's one then no i don't know see now i don't in the right time i don't remember what i do but but yeah some of them but i actually get this art from my mother my mother has been she does a lot many things she quilts sweaters she does embroidery mm-hmm. or she's made cushion covers she's made bed sheets you know so it's uh, it's something i've sort of imbibed from her uh-huh. and a very tiny bit not too much but she does way more than <laughs> than what i can think of but yeah it's from there yeah we'll need to see pictures i'll post them on the website <laughs> I can yeah I can actually some paintings that I've made but I think another uh, thing I'd like to add is 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 you know for me to follow my dreams or follow the passion I've done it would have not been easy if if I did not have the support from my family I think that's something sometimes I often miss but but it's very real and it's very important for me to recognize that they've they've been my driving factor right my parents and now my husband they've they've never stopped me at any foot right that's also one motivation i get mm-hmm. it's also it's so family's never been a barrier for me it's it's rather motivated me to to do better you know they've always every time i do something new there's i i have a sense of fear i don't oh. know if i can do this or maybe no can i just not do it yeah like, no 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 what do you mean you can't do it go ahead it's all right you can do it you're fighting for a cause you believe in that cause and it's important that you chase it mm-hmm. they've they've been very very important in my journey throughout right it's it's never been easy without them so yeah that's something i wanted to add <laughs> yeah absolutely it's beautiful that that like family's always like helping and supporting you um i think my family's also done the same helping me out with the podcast being quiet when i'm trying to record something <laughs> exactly that's a big thing trust me <laughs> yeah but yeah it's they they're very silent driving forces for us you know so i've been very touched i've been very lucky on that front and i really like to hold on to that yeah it's easy to take for granted but once we like bring it out and really think oh wow how much support i've gotten over the years it's really yeah. warms my heart Yeah, definitely. So, just to close off our wonderful conversation, and I never want to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I've I've I hope I've made sense. You know, sometimes I can go way beyond what is there. Uh but yeah, I hope it's made some sense. Absolutely. I think you've brought a lot of profoundness to your answers and um really it will definitely inspire other people. Um and take it like like the young generation will take it one step further so will you you are part of this young generation changing no. these <laughs> yeah so are, are there any other like interesting experiences you would like to share from your career um so far and um times you were working on research i think it's hard to pick you know like a lot of times uh, so i think that's one one uh, experience i'd really like to uh, it's it's motivated me a lot is so i was doing field work in gujarat uh, really doing a research that i was doing my thesis out there and i think i i i stayed in the village for about 3 3 and a half months learned their language lived with them and by the end of 3 months uh, uh i was just i was just returning a lot of my work also i was teaching in the schools uh, in in the local schools just just very simple uh you know what is water conservation what is climate change what is environment and you know very basic concepts to children so i had an old uh, 
so I was in constant conversation with one of the ex Sarpanch, uh-huh. the village headman, right? So he was an old man. And uh, we were always at, uh, we were not on the same page because he, he thought of development uh, in a very different way. And uh, I had a very different thinking, you know, it's important you educate your children, especially your grandchildren, especially because she's a girl, you know, you need to. So I used to always push him to, to think about, you know, educating that young girl, you know, yeah. that she was my focus. Uh, he was like, no, she will grow up. She will become like a mother. I'll get her married at 14 or, or 17 something. And I'm like, no, no. I mean, let her get married, of course, but doesn't mean you should stop her <laughs> mm-hmm. from going to school or coming to school for that matter. So I think after three months, when I was leaving, he himself walked up to me. He just put his hand on my head and he said, I will send my granddaughter to school and I want her to become like you. And, uh, but she should have long hair. And I had <laughs> short hair at that time. I was like, done. It's all right. She can have how much, she can have a kilometer <laughs> long hair. I don't mind. <laughs> but, but, you know, the fact that I was able to, to change his thinking mm-hmm. or just nudge him to, to give his granddaughter an opportunity to go to school. Yeah. Was big for me. I'm sure it was big for her too. It was, you know, she, she said, so she walked up to me and she said, uh, she said it in Hindi, you know, she said, uh, I will now be able to go to school. Thank you. I, you know, all my friends are there and, and I'm going to learn and I'm going to become like you. Right. So for, you know, for that second, when somebody sees you as a role model, it's, it's very moving, right. It's a lot of responsibility also that, you know, somebody is looking up to you. Somebody wants to be like you. Well, I, even now I don't know what I did there because I was just trying to learn and understand from them. Uh But uh, that one, that old man, that little girl, they will stay with me. They've, uh, it's, it's, it really, I think that is essentially what I say. It's rewarding, right? If you're Uh able to convince or change mindsets of even a few of them in in your entire lifetime, Mm -hmm. it's very rewarding. Trust me, that one, two people itself is more than enough exactly it's just yeah that's I, I'd like to close with that <laughs> <laughs> beautiful experience and I think that um she'll I hope she does become like you because it would get very much benefit <laughs> benefit all those people <laughs> yeah and lastly if anyone would like to reach out to you um where can they do so I'll put any links in the description if you would like come again I did catch oh, that very sorry um, if anyone would like to reach out to you, uh, where can they do so? Oh, they they can follow me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me, actually. I'm pretty much there. You can Instagram me. I mean, I'm, I'm there on Instagram, Facebook. It's all there. So, you, I mean, I can, I can send you my, uh, you know, social media handles and then they can reach out Wonderful. anytime. I mean, I'm more than happy to help assist anyway. I mean, I'm really happy to do that. Yeah, for sure. I'll put everything in the podcast description. Yeah. All right. Well, we have been talking to Maitre um, uh, Koraganti, um, and I just want to thank you so much for joining me here and sharing your lovely thoughts on, on communication and environmental science as a whole and different nations and learning about how water uh, usage is different in those areas um, really opened my mind and I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. I mean, it's my pleasure to really be here and be able to share that with you. 
and it's it's equally been rewarding right for me even it's it's also for me i'm reflecting on what i've done uh-huh. so it, it's been a nice a nice back in memory and then you come back you know it's been a nice journey back and forth but, but thank you so much for giving this opportunity to really share what i've been doing all right of course and thanks for li- the listeners for listening <laughs>